Hello, everybody. Welcome back to uh, the Beyond Awesome podcast series. We've got our uh, we've got a guest speaker today, which is really exciting. Uh, we've got Jessica Aviles. Uh, she is Chief Clinical Officer for Positive Behaviour Support Consultancy, which is going to be the focus of our talk today. Board certified behaviour analyst, uh, joined PBSC in 2020. Um, she's worked with people with challenging behaviour uh, with with behaviours that challenge for 17 years. Her work has been primarily with autistic children and adults and people with learning disabilities across the school, early intensive behaviour intervention, uh, clinics, community, NHS settings. Uh, a CCO, Chief Clinical Officer, Jessica currently oversees the clinical practice of PBSC, ensuring the systems within the organisation are aligned with the current best practices of PBS and ABA in the UK. Jessica is currently a member, uh, board member of the UK Society for Behaviour Analysis, and we'll put that reference in the um, blurb of, on the top page. OK, welcome, Jessica. How are Hi, you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Andy. Hey, you're welcome. Nice to see you. We haven't actually probably seen each other face to face for a long time, but we've known each other for maybe 11, nearly 12 years, which is a kind yes. of scary thought. <laughs> it is. Time has flown. It really has. Uh, well, listen, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you're busy like everybody and I really appreciate you coming here, kind of bringing your expertise and particularly uh, PBSC, a positive behaviour support consultancy, is, is an organisation that I've known about for a little while, actually in a previous life did a, did a small amount of work for, um, but it's an amazing company. And so what we're going to be doing today is letting everybody know about it because I really need to know about it. Um, but before we get too much into that, uh, you and I had a kind of conversation about how we would start with PBSC's history or the history of positive behaviour support in general. Right. And I've made a call and we're going to go for the, <laughs> go for the history first. So yeah, we're going sure. to start PBS in the UK, 2013 to 2022. Yes. Really over to you to kind of help set the scene, give us some context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in 2013, the International Journal of Positive Behaviour Support published a definition of PBS in the UK to support people with learning disabilities who are at risk of displaying behaviours of challenge. Now, prior to this publication, PBS has existed um, and it was used primarily by practitioners of psychology and behavioral science, but it was without outside of a framework or a model. So this 2013 article by Gore and colleagues really was written to address these inconsistencies of application um, and really to present a service delivery model of positive behavior support uh, rather than a single intervention. So the model from the 2013 art article highlights that PBS is a multi-component framework that has four basic aims, um, or four key aims, I should say. The first being understanding the social, physical environment and broader context in which behaviors that challenge occur. The second is to include stakeholder perspectives and involvement. The third is to develop, implement, and evaluate the effectiveness of a person-centered and long-lasting system of support. And that the fourth is threading the enhancement of quality of life through um, uh, by identifying outcomes for the individual and their stakeholders throughout the whole of the process. So according to this 2013 article, PBS is a multi-component framework. It's a framework that is encompassing 10 different components under the themes of values, theory and evidence and process. 
Um, and the 10 components are not actually meant to be used as a menu that you select and choose from, but they're meant to be used all together, combined all together. That is what makes a positive behavior support framework or P that is what makes PBS. So since 2013, the field has continued to evolve across professionals, academics, service users, and experts by experience. Um, some key pieces of work that we've seen over the years include the establishment of the PBS Academy and the PBS Competence Framework that was developed in 2015. And then Earlier, let's fast forward to this year. In early, so earlier this year, we have seen the publication of a of a report entitled "Positive Behavior Support in the UK: A State of the Nation Report," and this was by Gore and colleagues. Um, again, um, and they wanted to publish and acknowledge the evolution of PBS in the UK. And I and I want to be clear that we're talking about PBS practice in the in the U in the United Kingdom. So in this report, the authors sought to provide guidance on who PBS is for. Um, they proposed a review definition of PBS, as well as a guide for a PBS delivery in the UK. One of the big changes was the change from a 10 key components to 12 to the 12 key components of the multi-component framework. Um, and generally speaking, PBS is now widely considered the model of choice when supporting people with who's, who present with behaviors that challenge, um, that present behaviors that challenge the quality of their lives within the LD community. So that's kind of a short <laughs> that's a, that's a really concise synopsis because it's really tricky, isn't it? Like, there's so many bits to bring in, and of course, we could kind of go into greater depth around the different areas, whether there's ten, whether there's twelve components, or what have you. Yeah. What did you What did you make of the state of the nation? There, there have been some different reactions to it. I mean, how did you How did you receive it as a PBS practitioner? Yeah, I think I I really liked it. It I like structure. I like format. So I like people operationally defining what things are, what how they're using them and how they're not using them. Um, we have certainly gotten some feedback from some stakeholders and professionals within our organization or the people we work with within our organization. Um, questioning some of the things that have come out in the document, um, but I but I firmly support everything that it just makes perfect sense to me, Andy. It it, it, all, it all makes perfect sense in terms of what why we do PBS, who it's for, how we can then use that model to support people outside of the LD community and really gives a beautiful framework for ways in which we can increase the quality of life for the people that we work with. Yeah, well, I agree. Like, I, I, I it's so I'm, I'm part of the group, or rather, the group that I, that I'm in, mm -hmm. like a research group, the Sharma Foundation Research Group. Yes. I've observed the conversations about this. I did had no contribution to it whatsoever, but I observed the conversations and and the level of detail and the kind of debates that went on about various definitions and everything else. But it was really just a case of making. I mean, we won't labour this too much because we're, we're not really here to talk about sure. that. We're obviously here to talk about PBSC and how you guys have applied it. But I guess just generally, maybe there's a there's a hook here for another conversation. But mm -hmm. the, the, the thing that struck me the most was you can't do the multi-element design for the wrong reasons with the wrong people because then the network just doesn't work. Right. 
and there has to be a, a central underpinning, which I guess you're going to talk about, which so I won't steal your thunder on that, but <laughs> speaking like it was necessary because the building popularity of the, the the approach, in fact, the white paper that talked about that off the back of Winterbourne View scandal and other right. since, and how that needs to, it needs to be a, a, available to people in those circumstances, um, has meant there's been a wave of it come through, which I think has messed it up a little bit because it didn't have the right networks, it didn't have the right professionals involved. But we, in any case, the solution to this, of course, <laughs> is in some regard PBSC, although your history goes back further than that. Yeah, it does actually. Sarah Wakeling, our chief executive officer who founded PBSC, founded it in 2008. Um, and she founded this this company um, after seeing firsthand the value of using a multi-element approach or framework um, to supporting a range of people with individuals, uh, a range of individuals, excuse me, um, with behaviors that challenge. And she, she saw this more specifically with her firsthand work with Dr. Gary Lavinia and Dr. Tom Wallace at the Institute of Applied Behavior Analysis in Los Angeles. Um, she's, you know, Sarah is our, uh, is our practitioner psychologist and a BCBA, and she's worked with people over 20 years. Um, and she is and she's essentially contributed to a lot of key components of PBS throughout its throughout its time here in the UK, such as the PBS Competency Framework and ABAF, um, and is also actually a member of SFDAR in the research group you were talking about earlier, Andy. Um, but when she created PBS, she created the organization with the aim of providing person-centered support to autistic people and those with learning disability and, and both of whom engage in behaviors of challenge. Um, it was used, she created this with the aim of blending the behavioral sciences, person-centered approaches, and really just taking our passion for improving the quality of life for people. And she's done this in, in a way that has then created a team of professionals who, although we are primarily behavior analysts and trainee behavior analysts, um, we also include in-house SALT, we have trauma specialists, we have autism specialists, we have LD and M and mental health nurses, we have and, and, and experts by experience. So we have a wealth of knowledge across all the staff that we work with, both as employees and contractors. And the company really works across all environments. So we're in hospitals, we're in the community, we're at school with the kids, basically where the behaviors of concern are, is where we're going and that is in London wider wider London greater London area as well as up in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire so we've sort of gone everywhere almost <laughs> north well, south as far, as far as your capacity will take you right I mean yeah so yeah. Ju just for context because there's loads of debate at the moment about behaviors of challenge what what they mean mm -hmm. uh, there's loads of um well it depends where you look but there's, yeah. there's various, uh, what's the word? The controversy is the wrong word, but like there's a con there, there is an element in the in the environment that we have to react to a lot of the time, which is people deciding. You, you mentioned earlier about the state of the nation being one of these things about who it's for. So I just wondered, not necessarily specifically, but like giving some context on maybe a couple of the referrals you might get because i feel like we could then go into yeah definitely five stage process so just out of interest for people that never never come across pbs consultancy before you know you've got the the, the 
I'll let you tell us. Tell, yeah. tell us <laughs> the kind of things that require that multi-agency approach. Yes. So at PBSC, we only take referrals where behaviors of challenge or behaviors of concern, as we call them, um, are really falling within the definition of Emerson and Enfield's 2011 definition of behaviors that challenge, which is that behaviors of challenge are likely to limit or deny access to ordinary freedoms and opportunities. Uh, this includes, but is not limited to, behavior associated with restrictive practices, life-changing injury, severe trauma, and even premature death. So all of the sort of at the start of referral at our first stage, we're looking at why are you being referred to us? We do not work with individuals where we're looking to decrease their self-stimulatory behaviors. We are, um, unless it's a self-stimulatory behavior that is causing severe injury, requiring restrictive practice, um, or actually have causing severe trauma to themselves and others. Um, the types of behaviors that we get, we get a wide range. Um, it's often the more severe in the sense that there's a long history of the behaviors occurring, uh, having been having occurred in the young person's life or the adult's life or child. And it's behaviors like um, self self harm. Um, suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts, history of suicidal attempts. It's also things like severe aggression towards themselves and others. Um, it some behaviors also. In, I'm I'm just thinking of the wide range. There's there's they're quite severe in that sense. Um, behaviors that would mean that they are not engaging in anything. So people who are staying at home um, and have been at home and haven't left their room for six months. Um, these essentially behaviors that are going to put an individual at risk of their school or home placement or likely to put them in hospital. We also support individuals who actually there where their behaviors of concern have put them in hospital and we're working with them and their networks to get them out of hospital, reintegrated back into the community. I hope that answered your question, Andy. Yeah, totally. I, I think cool. it's, I just think it's really important that people understand the context because one of the things that I think is going to become apparent in the next little while is there are groups that are really trying to bring together the misunderstanding around the various aspects of what people do and why they do it. And so in the yeah. context of PBSC, what you what you guys are doing is uh, somebody that I that I've spoken to you not so long ago talked about it being a category error, like people assuming that it means uh, when we talk behaviours of challenge, they're talking about the kind of ableist view of not being able to self-stim in a in a sort of prim and proper way, like why are you right. doing that in public versus which I could, you know, you and I had a long conversation about this, couldn't care less yep. about that type of stuff. Yeah. Provided everyone's safe, right? Absolutely. However, the, the, the big deals that you're talking about, I, I think is important for people to understand. And later on, we'll start talking about other little bits and pieces. I think you wanted to talk about your research and practice, which is a, we'll come to that. To yeah, make some yeah really absolutely. Um, if I okay. could just add, sorry, Andy, before I just I think it's really important to clarify, and this is one of the things that, you know, comes with the discussions we've been having um, around the, the state of the nation report and just the general discussions we hear from certain parts of different communities um, is that 
we at PBSC will never make attempts to deny neurodivergent people any part of their identity or to conform to societal or neurotypical preferences. That is, that's just not our jam. <laughs> um, and we reject any procedures that cause or induce pain, shame, or fear um, for the individual and their carers. We just, we, it's just important, I think, to put it out there. That's not our MO. We're not there to, to change people. We're there to help people and increase the quality of life for them and the people around them in the way in which they see their quality of life being improved, if that makes sense, so. Yeah, perfect. Um, thank you. So we've had a bit of history of PBS, which I know is is kind of hard to cover, but you did it very well in five minutes. <laughs> Thanks. So you, we'll record that for you. So next time somebody asks, you just like press the button. There it is. Um, a little bit of context of PBSC and where it came in. So, you know, you've got lots more literature around 2013 to 2022. PBSC started to happen anyway, I think probably off the back of people's job behavior and that's just genuine desire to help people and so it just happened to coincide as things progressed when i hear you guys talk i hear big things i hear stuff about hospital admission reintegration back at home having been in hospital suicide ideation self-harm that's put people in there risks of sectioning uh, mm -hmm. deprivation of liberties all, all the huge topics how does pbsc take that on so a referral comes in yeah. Tell us about the five stage process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what we've done, and and this is actually as, as a result of seeing PBS in practice, not including all the key components of the framework, is we've created a five stage process that operationalize, operationalizes and in, um, every single step along the way. Um, and it ensures that the key components are present in everything we do, um, that it ensures consistency across our staff. And it actually helps people to, it demystifies things for people like the PBS and what we do. It demystifies that for the people that we're working with. Because sometimes people just don't, understand what PBS is. Um, they see it as being an intervention, something you do to somebody. So um, conce and conceptualizing it can be really difficult. So um, we've created this five stage process, which was developed around 2018, actually, to help clarify these misconceptions and really make it a very user friendly um, approach. We use very user friendly, non technological terms and, and language when we discuss it. Um, but we've done it in a way that does not compromise the procedural integrity of the framework and the strategies in which we employ. Um, so our five-stage process, um, it is our one of our standard offerings or the standard offering for our behaviorally intensive community support services in London and Nottingham and Nottinghamshire. Um, which is BICS as we call it, because uh, we love our acronyms, you know what we're like. <laughs> um, and essentially, the five stage process is made up of five stages. So the first is a is matching. The next is engaging engagement. The third is understanding. The fourth is delivering and the fifth is celebrating. So um, what our stage or five stage process does is it functions as a process model. It moves from an initial referral through assessment through intervention through review and over into maintenance post our involvement um, and 
our clients are held throughout this whole process. Um, and we'll get into that, I guess, in a little bit. Um, so do you, would you like me to go through the different stages? Yeah, I think it's really important because there's, there's okay, elements cool. to this that I think people will recognize. Oh, definitely. Um, from a behavior ethical point of view. And obviously feel free to kind of bring those in as you're talking about them. But I, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the five stage process is that I know you guys have experienced some referrals where you may only get to stage one and you're like, guys, you just need to talk to each other. And occasionally there is that comes up where you have a significant issue that actually has the most simple solution. But it's only through this process that you understand that that could happen rather than going like knee deep into something at, at kind of dealing with crisis. You're like, you know, if, if social care just spoke to health a couple of times, then we wouldn't have this problem. But, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I think I, this is the thing that I think everybody needs to know about is that the systematic, I, I guess, do you know, I kind of feel like it's almost, it falls under the t lots of aspects of the dimensions of ABA, right? Like the, oh, the, yeah. Uh, the, the, the concept is systematic. Obviously, there's some measurement components, but we won't bore people with that again. I'm sure everybody's listened <laughs> to that heard that a thousand times, but like it's really that's what drew me to this. Uh, professionally obviously knowing a few of you guys there relatively well yeah. really understanding where you guys are coming from on a personal level as well but then further to that it's just the simplicity of the principles and how they kind of translate to the yeah. fast process that really makes you guys who you are I think so yeah definitely yeah, yeah well it's through that journey yeah absolutely so so the first I'll go through the different stages and what we do um and I and I'm sure for the listeners they're going to be like yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, but I'll just dive into it anyway. <laughs> um, so our first stage, which is our matching stage, is where we're starting to understand if we are contextually fit for our clients. That's that is is our approach and our behavior is our behaviorally intensive approach going to match the context in which we hope to apply it so when we say contextually fit we're following the definition of horner blitz and ross's 2014 definition of contextual fit which is that there is a match between the strategies procedures or elements of an intervention and the values needs skills and resources available in that setting so we do this by considering all referrals against a battery of intake, initial intake questions, which we then score and assess whether we can then move forward. So it's really, it's one of the things that I think we need to be very clear about is that at this stage, we will not take a referral. We don't just take anyone. It has to be the behaviors of concern and it has to be, we, we won't take referrals where we're asked to address a person's diagnosis or condition and we definitely won't take um, behaviors, uh, sorry, referrals where the behaviors are not behavioral in nature, if that makes sense. So if it if behaviors are due to if the suicidal ideation, for example, is due to psychosis uh, related psychosis, we know that the evidence shows that our strategies and support will not be effective um, and that we may not be the best people for it. So we'll be the first ones to say that isn't going to work. In that particular context. And maybe this is going to take us too far left, so we can come back to it or just ignore the question if you want. Um, in that context, is, is there, I guess it's all specific, but in that, is, is it possible in that particular circumstance that you may say at the point of referral, 
if all the other ducks are in a, in a row, so we know that there's medication in place, and we know there's better, mm. so so a behavioural component may help with things like self-management or um, coping strategies or problem solving, for example. Would you then potentially be involved if the network was in a good space? Or are you talking about, look, if it's been dealt with medically, it's not really our bag? Well, no, I, yes and no, it depends. It, I mean, <laughs> it depends, Andy. It, all, it always, always depends. Um, I think it, we are very clear in terms of our suicide prevention model, which we're not talking about today, but when it comes to that that particular behavior yes we we're pretty we draw a sort of hard and fast rule there but with other behaviors we may then look into an, an engagement and understanding take it into the next few stages that then that then help us to identify is a behavioral approach going to be effective if all the other things are lined up so sorry i, I i'm gonna Limit questions now because of what I really don't want to do. I, okay. I have a habit of taking a soft. We're only track. on the first stage, Andy. <laughs> yeah, this is it, right? <laughs> so I'm just going to let you go for it now, and we okay, can talk cool. about we can talk about questions as they come. All right, sounds good. So that is our first stage. Um, when we've set, when we've been able to identify that we are actually a good fit, we'll then move into our engaging stage. Now, this is where, as you as you as you know, um, having worked with us, our client group are those types, uh, our clients who are really hard to reach. They are the ones who don't want help, um, who have long histories of engaging in behaviors of concern and are working, and we're working with families who are often disheartened by the services that support that they've received previously. So our clients are often living in very challenging, low engaging environments and come with quite a lot of trauma, often from the impact of the behaviors of concern or from their experiences of support um, received or support received. Um, so we have really taken engagement as its own standalone stage for that specific reason, um, because we recognize that we are coming up, we're, we're yet another professional coming up to say, hi, we're here to help and often faced with, yeah, uh-huh, get in line with the rest of them, you know. So during this stage what we are doing is we're meeting with the individual we are and their caregivers and the network and we're actually very clear from the beginning um the what they should expect from us and in equal measure what we expect from them um because it is really important that it's a two-way street we're not here to fix everything be the saviors and then pack up. We are behaviorally intensive support um, uh, service, but we are short-term service. We're not here forever. Um, and so it is really important that people understand that we can't be the only ones um, doing the work. Um, we, during this stage, are doing basic things like pairing and building rapport. Um, but uh, what our staff are really doing at this stage is asking questions like, what am I about to ask this parent to do? What are they, and is it going to be necessary? We're assessing response efforts of our clients and their caregivers to engage in the work um, we're going to ask them to do through the next stages um, and understanding the challenges that they face through their culture, through a cultural and social lens so that we can meet them where they are and work from there. So it is it is its standalone stage for, for those reasons. And really the outcome 
of the engaging um, is that we have learned from others and that we've identified the best way to establish rapport and a trusting relationship using behavioral uh, techniques, using um, PBS components, and really drawing heavily on other theories such as attachment theory, trauma-informed approaches to help ensure that we are holistically supporting and engaging with the individual where they where they are. I so there is the first sort of thread to the person centered piece, right? So yeah. if somebody's able to articulate to you, look, I really need to be, I need this. Or, yeah. And we're talking about the people that are in receipt of services at this point, aren't we? So they're saying, I really need to be able to do this. I really want that type of support. Can you teach me how to do X? I really hate it when people say this to me. Yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah, this is and it and it doesn't just stop. It's not like, OK, engagement tick. It's something that's literally it starts there and it's and it weaves itself through the entire the rest of the five, the rest of the four stages in that pro, in our process. Yeah, um, in my experience with and it was only short. So you, uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, because it was just how I encountered it. It was mm -hmm. you had to once um, once the engagement is there and you're part of the network, quite often end up being the advocate in a way for the client yes. because quite interestingly in network meetings is certainly what I saw but I guess maybe you'll supposed to see if this happened to tell us that this happens a lot is yes okay so you get a network is revitalized mm -hmm. they see an outcome you're we're, you guys are around for six weeks or, or however long the, the right. contract's for and then they start to rely on you but then it goes systems quite quickly and, and pbsc particularly continue to advocate for the person right right absolutely and there are times um unfortunately where we will come into a network and net the network will be like okay pbsc is here so we can tap out and like no 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 <laughs> client still needs you <laughs> um so so yeah it is definitely um a hat we wear in terms um of being an advocate for the clients and their parents and and it's often because the you know, we really, we really take the time to learn and understand them. We really take the time to hear them and, and really be there for them. And I think that is something that we try to emulate with the rest of the network and try to make it really clear in the subsequent documents that we, that we, and the findings that we have in our, in our other parts of our stages. So I'll move on to the next stage, which is our understanding stage. And this is where we are conducting our functional behavior assessments. And what we do is we do a five day function. So we we say we have five days to do a functional behavior assessment um, to really understand the contingencies around the behaviors of concern. This is where we're utilizing things like Lavinia and, Will and Lavinia and Willis's comprehensive functional assessments, where we may be, where necessary, using completing a practical functional assessment following from Hanley's work. We are also completing a mediator analysis that looks at the setting conditions of the client's meeting 
mediators. This is following from Allen's 1999 article, which actually looks at mediators or parents, caregivers, whatever label you want to call it. Um, and we're looking at their past experiences, social climate, physical climate, their personal health, personal attitudes and beliefs, as well as their emotional state and how that will impact their ability to support the client in achieving the outcomes and goals. So our understanding isn't just about that individual. It's about the behavior change agents as well and how whether or not a our approaches and strategies and um, technology will be effective. We're still kind of at this stage assessing for contextual fit, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so that is our understanding phase. And what we will do is obviously write a very comprehensive report, breaking down all the different components of our observations, gathering data, gathering, we'll be collecting data, we'll be collecting indirect assessments, we'll be doing, um, uh, looking at previous reports that are relevant and really creating a history of, of the behavior of concern for this individual, what's work, what hasn't, so that we can give a really solid formulation of function, a solid formulation um, of what we think will be effective in terms of the next stage, of uh, which is our delivering stage. Um, so our delivering stage is where we are completing our behavior support plans. Um, it's at this stage that we are working with the individuals and the caregivers, and we are focused. Our behavior support plans follow from again mirror Lavinia and Willis's multi-element component behavior support plans, um, in that they're heavily focused on antecedent and teaching strategies. Um, we focus primarily on environmental enrichment, skill development, and using non aversive reactive strategies. Obviously, there are going to be clients whereby they need to have um, sort of physical reactive strategies, but what we highlight, we don't we don't do that. We work with clients. We work with the client's network where other people might need to do that. And we but we focus on other non-physical, non-aversive reactive strategies as well. Um, so yeah, this is this is where we're doing the work. You know, we're doing the behavior support plan. We're doing the skills teaching. We're utilizing skills from our other specialists as well. So this is where we're bringing in our trauma specialists and our um, mental health nurses and our ASD specialists to help us understand when those things are present. Um, we are pulling from the skills that and and knowledge from them as well. Um, in the, in those networks, this is a question just popped in my head. Yeah. There was um, one of the first guest speakers we had on our series was um, Ryan O'Donnell, who did mm -hmm. the Daily BA. He's not really doing that anymore as it goes, but we talked about the Broadhead article from 2015 and talked about how and when a behaviour analyst may or may not say some things you know it was a, in an article i forget the name of it now but it was it was talking about the, essentially the risk benefit analysis of, of upsetting a network um if something in that network wasn't necessarily behavioral now i think where he's mm -hmm. coming from is there are there are colleagues people that you and i both know or have worked with that will broadly discount anything that doesn't come out of skinner's camp right they're, they're mm -hmm. just like, if it's mm -hmm. not behavioral, not interested there are mm -hmm. settings that won't even countenance our health professionals because they're not behaving, you know, all that. Right. Now, right. I, I, I know that you, I know the answer to this to an extent, but and it's not, 
and support from Haiti. I don't think there would ever be a circumstance really where there would be a proper like coming together, a butting of heads at the stage in which you are dealing, which tends to it, it, it is indicative of a crisis most of the time, isn't it? So it's like, what's going to work? Mm-hmm. What PBSC brings to the table, of course, is this uh, sense of, <laughs> see, I, I think to you, sort of, you're always like order and plan and we understand what we need to do. But do you ever find in that kind of FBA stage or the engagement stage, or even maybe even sits around the matching, I'm not really sure where this would fit, mm-hmm. that's kind mm-hmm. of my question. Have you have do you often have you ever been in a position where there's really unhelpful advice? The the, the thing that triggered me to Absolutely. ask it was the thing around the physical intervention or the or the physical responses because obviously PBS would advocate for non-aversives. Um, so have you ever had to manage that within your teams um, as a dynamic that is just not helpful but exists as part of the network? Absolutely. Absolutely. All the time. And it happens at any stage, actually. It's not, you know, because it tends to happen more often in engaging and understanding. And I think that's why we made it a we made it a point to have this setting out of expectations so that people can know from the beginning what to expect from us and what we should expect from them. Um, and I think we're very cl- we, we make it very clear, you know, we although we are primarily behavior analysts, we don't take a singular approach to any individual when we're supporting them. However, when we do come to head with individuals who are in the network, who may have a different point of view, coming from a different sort of camp of how to support an individual, we we work with them <laughs> you know i think what it comes down to is we rely on our behavior analytic strategies that i've just talked about in terms of engaging and getting to understand the professional where they're coming from trying to understand the camps of the school i mean there are schools in which we've we work with who have who are very clearly say we do not accept pbs and then when you actually start talking with them and you start working with them they they actually are working within some degree of the PBS framework. And it's just the way I've seen it, and this is something I've seen even before PBSC, is that, if, and this comes from my history of working in multidisciplinary teams back in the US, is that we are often saying the same thing, just using different language. And I think that's something that is really important for behavior analysts to get behind, um, as well as everybody else. And I think that is a great icebreaker when you come into, when you come to head with professionals who may say, oh, but what about this, that, and the other? And, you know, we're back that up with evidence. I'll back that up with our with the data that we're collecting and back it up with the evidence behind the interventions that we're using. Um, but really, it is just about trying to work with them. There's always going to be people that are difficult to work with. Um, trust me, this this five stage model is not a fail proof of eradicating people that are going to then not be easy to work with. Um, but no, it does. <laughs> Sorry, Andy, it's not a save all, <laughs> unfortunately. But I mean, we run into we run into the same problems that everybody else sure. runs into. Um, I just think that this process does make it a little bit easier, so people can understand and expect know what to expect along the way. Absolutely. So, so where where are we at? Um, so we've had three stages so far, right? Four. So we've gone through the delivering. So we're just wrapping up our delivering. Um, just for the listener, because I, I mm-hmm. to, so they can hold it in. Tell us the names of the four stages yes. at this point. So our first is matching. Our second stage is engagement. 
Our third stage is understanding. Mm -hmm. Our fourth stage is delivering. And our final stage is celebrating. So we like a good party at PBSC. We love to celebrate um, people's wins, even the smallest gains. We are so happy to, to look at. Um, so in our five stage, our fifth stage is our celebrating stage. And this is basically our way of ending support with the client, with the network. Um, and we are in this stage, we are developing a summary report, a celebrating report of everything that we've done from the point from the very beginning all the way up to the end. We're giving clear, we're establishing clear actions for the individual, their mediators and the network to carry things on to ensure that the progress made during our intervention is maintained and generalized in new when new situations arise. Um, and then we are conducting um, our, a six month post service check in where we're assessing maintenance and generalization of the skills and we're checking to see have they taken the actions that we've given them to then um, and, and have they actioned them really. Um, what we won't do at this stage is we, we really won't just close for the sake of closing. We wanna make sure that at this stage we're doing outcome measures we're looking at. We've done pre-outcome measures and um, we'll do post-outcome measures uh, here at this stage as well. And we won't really be moving forward unless we know that progress has been fully made. And then we tie it up internally with a reflection session. So our little teams around the different cases come together and we reflect and take our learnings from the different cases so that we can improve our services in the future. Basically, we don't, although Although PBS, although five, the five stage model is a nice solid model, um, easy to swallow, easy to understand. We don't see it in its final process, in its final product. We we're constantly trying to evolve and trying to make it better for the next person that we um, support using this model. So I think that's it for the five stages. Oh goodness, that's it. You make it sound easy, Jess. <laughs> sure, it's super easy, Andy. There's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a little bit of one and two, and there's a three. Reminded me of friends for a second, and I won't go there. <laughs> okay, so what I'm hearing a lot about social validity. I'm hearing a lot about yeah. like genuine engagement, keeping the. I, I never really know what to call people that use the service. Service is a client person at the centre of it all. Yeah. PBS advocate for them along the way. Uh, I think it's probably, just to clarify on your five stay, your five day function, that's not necessarily yeah. five consecutive days, right? That can just be five yeah. days over time. Yeah, five days over time. And it might be that actually five days is elongated. Just to add, we might, because of the engagement of the clients, we've had clients who actually just don't engage. So we might stretch it out across 10 days. And it is, if it if it's consecutive, if we can do it consecutively, great. Um, that's fantastic. But more often than not, it's, it's spread out across a series of weeks. Which makes sense, because then yeah. I suppose you get the longevity of the service as well, then to a, to a degree, which is better than like a, I don't know, three, four, six week hit. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, so we've had a little conversation about challenges and barriers that you typically see, uh, particularly mm -hmm. towards the network. Yeah. Do you see kind of barriers or challenges in, I'm struck by the 
the case of the person that's um, been in hospital and coming back out again. Yes. And I just wondered in the context of, I guess, the the handover from the primary service, presumably being health or or mm-hmm. obviously CAMS, if it's that age group or yep. that area, into what I'm assuming would then be something to do with social care. Like, do you see a are there challenges and barriers in that regard? Yes, um, there are, and I think I think it kind of goes to the point of people working in silos having their own priorities and sort of being bound by their own processes and procedures, if you like. Um, So that is often something that we come to head with uh, for our clients that we are supporting out of hospital. They they will have CAMS, they will have uh, social care involved, they'll have a a hefty network around them. Um, And so we become, we come to that table with these professionals and really help to support with that transition. So just out of interest, then in your matching and engaging stage it, mm-hmm. obviously you're going to have sight of that you kind of see all the writing that's on the wall or in fact you may have been yes. directly commissioned for it are you sort of saying at that point then look if we're not going to have a receiving service outside of this environment then we can't really do anything for you does it kind of get to that stage sometimes it can do i mean i think oftentimes what ends up happening isn't that we're oh there's no place for them to go so we're not going to be involved there's always stuff for us to do so it's it might be that actually whilst social care and the rest of the people in the network are working out a place to transition out of hospital too we're working on we're working on tolerance training we're working on skill development we're working on being able to focus on transitioning and being able to support individuals to um, be successful when they are out Um, there are even times in which we might dip back in dip out and then dip back in at the point of transition to help support the individual, making sure that we are supporting them to be successful in their transition. We're heavily involved and often leading the protocols and the development of transition plans for individuals out of hospital. Yeah, I can see why. That makes total sense. I don't even think you need to scratch the surface too much to understand why. Like it's when you're in that realm of skill building and 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 I guess repertoire building, or we talked earlier maybe about problem solving, it's like yeah. you can have things that demonstrate the scaffolding that's required because of the nature of your process, which Absolutely. is why. So look, the process to me, you know, I've talked about this offline, online, anyway. Really, I think it's an amazing process. But you you wanted to say something about the future of the five stage process obviously it's it's ever evolving but do you guys have anything specific in mind at this point that might augment what's already there or what what comes up in reflections maybe you think oh that should be part of the process um some of the things that come up um in our reflections is um thinking about consent and assent so thinking quite often about how we are integrating consent and assent throughout our process and i think we've done there are definitely key markers throughout our process that we're doing and we're doing constant preference assessments and we're doing you know a variety of of assessments so there so there is but there is definitely room to grow i think it's a very hot topic right now in the field of aba and i think we really are trying to stay trying to look at ways in which we can um 
be better at that. Um, I think there's more work that needs to be done for the field generally, but also thinking about user involvement, network engaging, social validity, which I know is a massive topic in the research groups and things. And I think those are ways that I think we are looking currently in our own working parties um, within the company on how we can improve our five stage process in those key areas from those key themes. We, I think next steps also include us publishing really, getting our, getting our service model out there so that people can understand what it is that it, how it looks like um, because in the mean, we have equally not just been collecting, you know, refining this process. We're also collecting loads of data on the process and the procedure and our successes across our clients, across all of our big services. So um, really excited to see where that where that data um, and that publication goes. Um, and really the the other bit is just how we've taken our BIX model and used it and sort of amalgamated it with another suicide prevention model for that is used for different different demographic to support our autistic adolescents and adults who present with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts in, the, in their as a part of their behaviors of concern. So that is another area that we've um, really focused on in the last year or so, which I'm, yeah. <laughs> so those, those are the couple of areas of, of development for our five stage model. You mentioned something there about research. Have you guys got plans to, like publishing in train then? Um, I'm not sure about training, but definitely publishing baby steps, Andy, baby steps. Quite a lot. <laughs> Classic uh, propensity to mumble. Like, have you got public publications in the what like are they in the pipeline have you got things coming out soon we are not coming out soon or soonish hopefully in the next year okay. um i might be a little bit busy doing other things um but, <laughs> but the other but the other um but we are working towards that yes absolutely well let us know we'll make sure that gets a forum from uh, beyond autism for sure oh great um, thanks you made a, a a really good point in the kind of in our pre-conversation so people know as we mentioned in other podcasts obviously we meet before and we have a conversation about the type of things we want to talk about and you mentioned research and practice uh, as being uh, obviously like a key component for you guys uh, you've got this focus on publishing in the future kind of disseminating what you do and and I guess influence in the field and I wouldn't be surprised if some things start to appear in the reference lists from you guys in the in the in the future I was kind of struck by how close in time the research that you've drawn on the references that you have for this conversation is so the the furthest date back is 99 which only feels like yesterday to me <laughs> it's not <laughs> andy sadly <laughs> I but I, just just humor me right? okay all right yeah just yesterday <laughs> yeah the, the millennium doesn't seem that long ago okay look less than 25 years ago okay give me that let me have that one that's just math you can't deny me that Okay. Um, but your research references goes all the way up to 2022, I think. So this, so this year. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the reality is, is that we've created this model. This model was is based on quite a lot of research that was already done. But what we've also done is stayed abreast with what's going on 
now in the field. So our reference list does include data that is, or reference, uh, excuse me, articles and evidence that has come out more recently. So we're always, that goes back to the point of refining the five-stage process, like looking at what's being published and being like, oh yeah, we actually do do that. Let's bring that into the evidence base so that when we are talking about our five-stage model, there's even more evidence um, and even more relevant evidence, I suppose, in terms of the last 25 years um, being able to um, support what we're doing, making it really current, if that makes sense. Well, and also you make a really good point about practice outstripping research. Yes, yes, yes. It, because it necessarily, I mean, if you just think of, I mean, it's not really a surprise, but it's pretty logical, isn't it? Like you've got something that's happening now and it's dynamic and it's changing. Exactly. Of course, it's going to, practices are going to outstrip research because research, research takes ages. Yeah, it, and, there's and, a and the, the longevity piece, the longitudinal stuff, obviously you guys have got a set of data, but there's all sorts of problems with permission to use it and, you know, retrospective data sets and all the, all the stuff that academics have to battle with all the time. Absolutely. Um, but then again, if you look at our, our really kind of fundamental aspects of our field, you know, ranging from radical behaviours and all the way through to uh, practice based on behavior analysis it really feels like now in the scheme of time that more than any other time before that the practice field needs to be informing the research field much more like kicking it back down to them going do something with this because it's working it, it's necessary you need to really come back with with better academic models or suggestions or research designs that actually get us to empirically prove this stuff Absolutely. And I think that's something that we really are, the direction that we're moving towards in PBSC is recognizing that our practice has in some ways really move forward beyond is is more innovative is 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 more relevant and dynamic as you said when compared to what is out there in the research and i think we're then trying to then feed back into research with what we do and trying and becoming more involved in research groups getting ourselves um, published on our on our various models and the evidence that we've been collating over the years so yeah i think it is it it is about trying to support one another we feed back Back into the evidence base and then the, and and the evidence base continues to guide uh, best practice in the field and that that unilateral thing is obviously makes the field innovative but but also i think by nature of your model with person-centered scenario it's a person-centered person being at the center as being like the hallmark really of all pbs mm -hmm. or should be yep. but certainly in your five-stage process um in that there's there's a consistent call for autistic people to be informing what research looks like and I suppose there's a component of well look our practice is based on person-centered approaches therefore this is this is in part informed by our experts by experience I think was the phrase that you're using yep yep so yeah I mean it, it has to happen really that you mentioned suicide prevention uh, is that something you want to talk any more about? I know it's a relatively new piece for you guys. Is there something you did you want to kind of mention that as part of your current experiences, reflections, or, or save that for another time? 
maybe save it for another time, Andy, because once you get me started on it, I won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought I'd give you the option. But, it uh, is very, it is something I'm incredibly passionate about. It is something we've been working on really extensively and have yielded some outstanding outcomes for the young people that we work with. And I feel incredibly proud about all the work that our staff have done to supporting um, our autistic clients who are coming to us because of suicidal ideation and attempts and it's it's hard work a lot of lot there's not a lot of people doing it um and but like with anything like with what people people coming into the field of behavior analysis you it's those wins that you see which are just make doing all the hard work totally worth it so yeah maybe yeah. i'll end with that yeah literally saving <laughs> life right? yeah it's great well that cliffhanger well i think we'll, we'll probably leave it there because and, yeah. and it is a cliffhanger guys because you you are expecting a happy event anytime soon right and i then... am indeed another bundle of joy in my life so that's <laughs> what i meant by uh being busy in the yeah. near future <laughs> Um, you know, yeah. Brits like a little bit of euphemism. Um, <laughs> so amazing. Thank you, Jess. We will yeah, definitely revisit this when you're ready. Uh, okay. I'm interested to know more about this um, component, particularly from a that mixture of MOs and behavioural change and contingencies and all the stuff that must be laced through it. I, the, I'm just guessing at and I'm super curious about so I'd love to hear more about how you've Absolutely. taken that on and, and where it's taken you guys as a company. So, okay. um, so Jessison, thanks so much for your time. Um, I hope to see you soon. Uh, and if not, enjoy, enjoy the summer and, and uh, pending events um, <laughs> and see you next time. Thanks, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'll see you next time. Awesome.